Hi, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Evolutionary Parenting Podcast. I'm Dr. Tracy Castles, and I will be your host. If you don't know of Evolutionary Parenting, it's a site I created in order to disseminate academic research on parenting and child development using an evolutionary or biological perspective. Although I've written extensively on parenting, I wanted to add another means by which families could get information, thus the introduction of the EP podcast. I'm not sure what this podcast will look like in 10 episodes, but at the moment, I wanted to start with a conversational approach, like you're listening in on two peers talking about a given issue. Specifically, though, two peers who spend their lives working to try and shift our collective cultural mindset on parenting, either through research, advocacy, or working directly with families. So if you have a question you think would be good discussion fodder for the podcast, please feel free to send me an email at tracy at evolutionaryparenting.com. You can also get my contact information at evolutionaryparenting.com. In this vein, for the inaugural episode, I discuss a reader question with the wonderful Pinky McKay from Melbourne, Australia. Today's question is to do with breastfeeding, delay of gratification, and sex. Remember, this is not your typical podcast. I'm not interviewing Pinky and we're not debating the issue, but rather we're discussing the question at hand with all the talking over, interruptions, and overlap that entails. I hope you can enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, I bring you my chat with Pinky McKay. So welcome everyone to the inaugural Evolutionary Parenting Podcast. I am very pleased today to have with me the wonderful, fabulous, magnificent Pinky McKay. For those of you that don't know her, I first off don't know why, but um, she is an international board-certified lactation consultant in Melbourne. She works with families on many issues, breastfeeding, sleeping, parenting in general, She's an internationally sought-after speaker on parenting issues, and she's the author of several books, including Toddler Tactics, Sleeping Like a Baby, Parenting by Heart, The Conscious Mother, and more. So thank you so much, Pinky, for being here with me. Thanks, Tracy. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to do this chat with you. It's I know. Well, I hope people realize this is going to be a bit more informal. Uh, The hope here is to really, we've got a question coming in that Pinky and I are going to talk about, and it is a bit of a doozy, and one that I think think touches on a lot of issues that go on in parenting and specifically breastfeeding in our society. So I want to quickly get to reading it, and then you and I can get to discussing it. You've had the pleasure of seeing this question beforehand. Um, but no one else has actually heard it yet. So here we go. For all those listening, this is the question that I received from a mother on Facebook, and she's given me permission to read it and share it and talk about it here. Hi there. I have a unique question that I thought may find a balanced and thoughtful response here. My 25-month-old still nurses both day and night, minimal in the day and a couple of times in the night. We co-sleep, and it is a smooth situation. He has never been one to sleep in a crib or alone, and I'm more than happy to meet that need for connection. He wakes several times a night and doesn't just whimper back to sleep. He will reach freak out really quickly if I don't come to him, and rocking, patting, shushing, etc. simply doesn't work to get him back down. He needs the boob. It's easy, and it works, and I'm fine with this season of life. However, I recently had a trusted mentor slash friend bring up her concern for our situation, which is leading me to reach out here. 
she specifically suggested that my feeding him back to sleep is teaching him both immediate gratification as well as, and this is specific to a boy versus a girl, future sexual immediate gratification expectations. She thinks he will expect his wife to immediately meet all of his sexual needs as an adult. My mind and my gut completely resist this idea, but she's quite convinced that I'm setting him up for failure in this particular way. Again, we have a respectful and happy friendship, and she has been a source of lots of wisdom in other ways through the years. I just can't see her point on this one, and wondered if you have ever seen anything in your research to suggest that nursing a boy and nursing him in the night as a toddler have any connection on his sexual and non-sexual expectations as an adult. I'd love to be directed to any solid research that speaks to this topic. I know I'll not get it all right all of his life, but I truly don't want to make life difficult later, and I'm willing to weigh out good info from all perspectives. Thank you most kindly for any thoughts you might have. I can say right after that I had many thoughts (laughs) (laughs) upon reading that. Not all of them kind. Uh, But Pinky, I've said this before. What was your gut reaction when you first read that? My gut reaction was that um, this friend is a little bit off track. I mean, a bloody lot off track. That <laughs> she would think this. I mean, my, my gut reaction was, goodness me, I must go and ask my daughter-in-law if this is the case. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Uh, yeah, um, I haven't heard any complaints, but I doubt that they'd come my way anyway. <laughs> That's true. We should get all the daughter-in-laws around that can attest to this and find out what's going on. With all the the partners that, you know, were breastfed in the night to a ripe old age. (laughs) It's, I I just, I admit I first read it and it was one of those questions that had my first reaction be, and I apologize for the swearing in advance, but I was just like, oh, fuck this shit, I'm out. I am done. I'm not addressing this. I'm not dealing with this. It's that attitude that makes me want to hide in my room. And clearly we can't, though, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Because, you know, I don't think this person means ill will. I don't think that they're even holding a truly minority view. I think there's a lot of people that have these kind of thoughts surrounding breastfeeding. Well, we've sexualized breastfeeding, we've sexualized breasts, and any child over two who's breastfeeding, people assume it's a sexual thing rather than, I mean, the ignorance, assume it's to do with either sexual gratification of the mother because she's breastfeeding this child, they say she's doing it for herself. Well, the reason she's doing it for herself is because her life is a whole lot easier. It's a wonderful tool to have in her parenting toolbox. And like this mother says, she's completely happy with this season of her life. So... You know, but people don't see it like that. And I guess a friend who maybe hasn't breastfed in that way, um, meeting the child's needs like that or seeing breastfeeding as more than just food, is is thinking, you know, this child's going to roll over at night and need sex when he's a certain age and just go, well, hang on. <laughs> I still, it's the thought of it that gets me I almost comical here but scary comical but I think you've touched right on I think the first there's two real issues that I see cropping up with this Um, there's the sexualization of breastfeeding obviously which we'll talk about more there's also this behaviorist view that permeates parenting more generally I think where we're talking about this idea that actions we take to fulfill a need are going to reinforce 
um, some bad behavior that we're seeing as if somehow communication is a bad behavior. But um, and so I think we're really packing away those two, along with a whole lot of cultural stereotypes. I mean, or not stereotypes, but cultural ideas, I guess. I mean, you're talking about heterosexual assumptions here. Um, just the mentioning of a son and his wife. I mean, we don't know that that's going to be the case. Um, mm. The fact that it's just boys, that somehow there's no sexualization of it with a female. Again, heterosexual normality there. So there's just, I, I think, a lot going on here. But I first want to ask you, because and part of why I just had to have you for this one, is one, you pull no punches, which I love. There's going to be, you'll tell it as it is. I'll tell it like but it is. But secondly, <laughs> you will. But secondly, you work with boobs. You work with boobs all the time. And if anyone's going to encounter this, it's probably, I mean, do you have families that are concerned about the sexualization when they come to you for breastfeeding help? Are there family members? Do they? Is this a common thing that people face is this type of backlash in your professional experience? Look, I think people do, not necessarily that they're going to be, you know, sexual deviants because they're breastfeeding, but... I remember with one of my own children, you know, if you keep breastfeeding him, you'll make him gay. There was no reference oh. to my daughters. By the way, I do have a gay son, so <laughs> maybe breastfeeding did it. But I've got two clearly you who did that. <laughs> I've got and two others who are. I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah, and they breastfed oh. longer, so you know, it's probably got nothing to do with anything. But they never said I'd make my daughters gay or anything like that. So I go, yeah. what's that about? That boys have to bear this. Um, stigma I guess breastfeeding but people are even weird about little boys getting cuddles you know you'll make him into a mummy's boy and I do have it's... families getting told that I do have women who perhaps are breastfeeding toddlers who may get this even this concern from their husbands but as well as extended family members you're going to make him into a mummy's boy oh, and yet God. it's developmentally appropriate for this child to still need help mm. to regulate their emotions to help them calm down to use that chemistry of breastfeeding or even just a cuddle they're going to get flack about little boys and I think it's look we're you know in Australia we're about men being men I don't know whether that's yeah. the same everywhere yeah. but you know a, a boy is got to be a man mm -hmm. mm. and that's I mean it's so like we've sexualized the female body to a crazy degree, such that we're seeing a natural biological act become sexualized. But now we're yes. sexualizing our young boys. Because if it's not girls that this is happening to, we're not giving them sexual agency at a young age. But we are somehow to our young boys. And I don't understand, why, is it that this is our limited perspective of men, that they are sexual beings who can't control it and in which everything becomes sexual? It I'm struggling like it, with this it? because it, yes, it they does. can't help themselves. And even when you, when people talk about women breastfeeding in public, you'll hear them say, you know, cover up. My husband might want to look at you, or that sort of, yeah, you know, implication. And you go, well, hang on, give men a bit more credit. Well, exactly. And I mean, he can look, and who's to say? It's the assumption that if he looks, he's suddenly going to be sexually aroused, get an erection, and yeah. They, yeah, if a child nurses, suddenly it's what, going to result in sexual pleasure for a two-year-old? I'm not, like, it is, 
it's so difficult. And I think we seem to lack this differentiation of physical pleasure because we'll see young boys will have erections. Oh, they have them when they're a few months old. Yeah. Yeah, babies have them. But it's Mm. not sexualized in the way that we are. It's a physiological response um, that happens for them. And most of them don't even know what... They don't even know what actual sex is. No, not at all. And I think we have infants who we see this behavior and we're so programmed to go towards sex and sexualization that we're lacking the ability to kind of take it apart and say, hey, wait a second, we're talking about a two-year-old or we're talking about a baby. This is just physiological feel-good moment. And it doesn't have to be sexual. It can feel good without being sexual. Um, I don't know if that speaks to our lives more generally, where we gen- we, we're not feeling good unless it's sexual. <laughs> Are people missing out on some higher level of, of comfort and feeling? But we really, I think, need to get away from from this idea that just because something feels good, it has to inherently be sexual. Yes. I also... Yeah, I also think, and this is, I mean, again, you deal with this. I do not get the sexualization of the mothers with this, that somehow it's a mother's sexual need. Because breastfeeding is far from sexual for, I know, a lot of women. It's often, especially as the toddler ages, and they're crawling all over you, and they're climbing on you, and they're pinching, and they're pulling. And I can't think of anything. Nothing. You know, Nothing sexual about that. You're just completely touched out some of the time. Exactly. I still the last mean, thing you're thinking you... about is having sex with someone else's husband who's looking at your breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not even your own husband some of the time. Well, I mean, I still find, I mean, personally, every time I've been nursing, my breasts cease to be sexual at all. I'm almost like, you just don't touch them. They are, you know, kids will feed off them, but that's it. I don't want anyone going near them whatsoever because they are the least sexual thing on my body at that moment. I would get more, I'd be more aroused by a foot massage at that point because that would be <laughs> fantastic. I don't know. Um, I was and I do not have a foot fetish. So this is no. not me. Well, I was trying to explain but, this to a woman I saw recently who was very pregnant. She was due to have a baby in the next few days and wanted to talk about, you know, just an antenatal kind of visit. And she, the husband was definitely wanting her to breastfeed, a very health freak kind of people. And she was saying she didn't want to breastfeed. And he's saying, well, she want, she's scared she'll ruin her breasts. And I'm kind of going, well, you know, really, have you had a boob job? No. Um, have your boobs grown bigger while you've been pregnant? Oh, yes. And I said, well, it's all over now, really. Um, you know, the only way to get them back is to breastfeed and wean very slowly if, the, if it's the shape of your breast. And then we got talking a bit more when the husband wasn't in the room and she said, look, I associate my breasts, you know, they're a sexual object and I don't really want a baby sucking off them. And I said, do you know what? You're going to compartmentalise that. Your baby sucking off your breast is not going to give you the same reaction as your partner playing with your breasts or, you know, using them in foreplay. So... I said, you know, you're just not going to feel the same. And you can probably, you know, some women can do both. Some women can't. But if you do both, you'll compartmentalise. You don't see your baby. You know, you don't feel those sexual feelings with your baby. Although I believe I've read that 
women can have feelings of orgasm when they're breastfeeding. I, I don't know. I didn't have that luck. So I am. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I've read the same thing and I just want to meet someone because I, hmm. like I said, the absolute opposite. I have, and I love breastfeeding. I am, I relish Yeah, it's a lovely feeling, but it's I, not sexual. It, it is so far from sexual, it's crazy. But hmm. I wanted to go back a bit to this idea of sexualizing our boys. Because, I mean, there's one thing to say you're doing it for yourself, which is something I think we often hear with, with breastfeeding beyond a certain age. But this idea that a child's going to carry long term, I, I want to try and understand it. What is going on to think that a child is going to be carrying these long-term thoughts and feelings about breastfeeding that's going to lead to the expectation of sexual gratification, immediate sexual gratification? And I don't – I'm struggling to even see – I guess the link really comes from the expectation of immediate gratification and then just the sexualization of the breast sexualizing it. So you have to assume at this stage that the two-year-old is sexualizing the breastfeeding relationship. Am I am I crazy in thinking that, that this is what this person's well, I think, logic is? Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. One is the sexualization of the breastfeeding relationship and the other one is that instant gratification that if you – say yes to your child all the time the child's going to have expectations forever that his needs are going to be met immediately well as a child grows they don't you know any of us that have done long-term breastfeeding or whatever we kind of gradually switch over you know your child so well even taking breastfeeding out of the picture that you don't instantly gratify children do you eventually when they get bigger it's it's not something that you're going to do with a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or whatever. They're Mm -hmm. going to learn to wait and and they're going to learn to wait for pleasure and they're going to learn, you know, pleasure and reward come with some sort of effort. As they're older, it's like because we're doing this now, it's going to happen when they're 25 or 35 or 55. Mm -hmm. And I actually do want to bring up here for anyone listening and interested as much as I, this mom was looking for research, looking specifically at sexual gratification. And for that, I have looked, I can't, I, I'm not surprised I can't find anything because I just don't think it's a question that a researcher would even go towards the researchers who study breastfeeding. Um, it just, I think it's so far out of left field that there's a lot of conjunction that researchers would not actually consider to run a study. However, we do have research on this immediate gratification business. And, I mean, we can go back decades to Mary Ainsworth and her work on attachment and how the prompt responsiveness to the needs of our children actually decreases the kind of crying and unwanted behaviors we see. So, I mean, going to the opposite of this idea of immediate fulfillment of needs leading to expectations, um, Perhaps there is the expectation that my parents will be there for me and therefore I don't need to cry, uh, which I'm willing to open up to that that's part of what's happening when we respond to our infants is we are setting the expectation that we'll be there for them. um, And so therefore they don't need to be as upset. But to the question at hand, there's a 2012 study um, out of Switzerland or I think Switzerland uh, looking at maternal and intergenerational links to the delay of gratification. 
And obviously, delay of gratification is exactly what we're talking about here, right? This later concern that the child will not be able to delay their gratification. And what they found was that every month of breastfeeding, and it was breastfeeding not no other variables beyond age and breastfeeding were found to be highly significant. Um, and breastfeeding was not moderated by any other variable there. But every month of breastfeeding increased the likelihood that a child showed appropriate delay of gratification by 11%. So actually we have the opposite here, that breastfeeding seems to actually help the delay of gratification going on. So if we're concerned that somehow this child will have erroneous expectations, um, and I assume in this case a female being breastfed would still have expectations of or immediate gratification based on this person's logic, even if for some reason it wasn't sexual, uh, this research seems to speak to the opposite right off the bat. So we actually do have some evidence of this not holding true. Um, yeah. So what do you what do you think about why we would see this link between breastfeeding and actually a greater delay of gratification in children? I would think they've grown up with quite a bit of trust. They've also got some empathy because they've been treated with empathy. You would expect them to be considerate of other people's needs as well. And they, they tend to be. I mean, even my own mother, who's well into her 80s, um, said to me once about my second son she said I can't believe and he was in his 20s at that point she said I can't believe how considerate Jonathan is you wouldn't even smack him like she was at me when I was you know when he was a little boy and he was a right adventurer probably a nice polite mm -hmm. way to put it um and she said you wouldn't even smack him well no I wouldn't smack him but um I think she thought he was quite spoiled going by that generation mm -hmm. and she can't believe how considerate he's grown up and I would say it's because if you treat someone as you'd like to be treated, that's what you model, that's what you imprint. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I actually, I mean, Maddie's only six, but I've had the same people who saw her younger at two um, thought she would be really a spoiled brat because we allowed her, I mean, I've had comments specifically to nursing, allowing her to nurse on demand at that age. Mm -hmm. uh, and also just generally, you know, no smacking, no nothing like that. And now at six already, it's still a short time later, everyone's kind of flipped. It's, oh my goodness, she's so wonderful. Look at how considerate she is. And you and still think it's pure luck. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, gee, aren't you lucky that that turned out that way? Yes, <laughs> aren't like, you lucky? No. I used to get the aren't you lucky, yes. Aren't you lucky oh, they're so happy? Like, Aren't you lucky they're so healthy? Oh, that lucky business is. And you know what? I am lucky in some ways. I think about, you know, Maddie has a dairy protein allergy. I was very lucky that was diagnosed very early. And yes. we were able to then make the appropriate changes because she would have been a very unhappy baby if we hadn't had that found out. So I think there is an element of luck because our society is so not structured to support parents and have the knowledge needed to help them find these things that interfere with babies' well-being uh, yeah. right off the bat. So there's luck there. But when you start getting later and looking at this, I, I just struggle to think how much luck there is. There's luck, but then it's not all luck. Clearly, not I'm not luck. doing when, something. Not when you see numbers of children and, you know, I – went to La Leche League with my first child. I had him here in Australia. 
and went back to New Zealand where I grew up and he was about a year old and I went along to La Leche League to find out how to wean him and realised I didn't have to. And now, and you know, I know these kids have grown up with this really strong nurturing and as adults, they're really kind people. They're strong people. They do well in the world. They're not, you know, um, they've all got different personalities. They're all doing all sorts of different um, careers or jobs or places in the world. But they're very kind, decent people. And you go, well, it's not, can't all be coincidence. No, and I think, you know, you have the benefit, which I love, especially speaking to, you know, a mom like this who's concerned about these, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, you've lived it. You have these children that you can look at and see exactly, you know, what you've produced, so to speak. And (laughs) what would you say? Like, what do you bring up your own kids when you're talking to families to kind of give them a sense of peace of mind about what they can look for? Sometimes, if I'm asked about a really clingy child, I will. My, our fourth baby was an absolute Velcro baby. I mean, even if my husband held her, she would scream. And, oh, really? you know, at three months old, we went to visit my grandmother in New Zealand, and Nana sat next to me for a week before she was able to even hold Sarah on her knee. And then one day she walked outside with her, which was all fine, and then I heard this blood-curdling yell, and she came back and running inside and said, I didn't see a bee. I said, did you see a person? Oh, I just popped her over the fence for Mrs. Next Door to have a wee nurse. I said, oh, that's all it is, because as soon as she handed her back to me, Sarah was fine. Now, this was the first kid of mine to leave home. She was, look, even at four years old, I... Because I was homeschooling, I hadn't enrolled her in the local kindergarten, which all the kids loved. And, you know, you went a couple of days a week and half a day. And she said to me, can I go to kindergarten? I said, well, you know you have to stay there without me. And she said, yes, that's all right. And the first day she hung her bag on the hook and said goodbye, Mum. And other kids were hanging on to their parents' legs. So this kid somehow had switched from being a Velcro baby to being quite independent. And she was... My youngest kid to leave home and live out of home while she was studying. She was the 21-year-old. She went overseas and did the snow season in Canada. She's travelled all over the world and camped with nomads in Mongolia and, you know, done some crazy things, been chased by wild dogs in Cambodia, you know, amazing stuff. She's now married to a pilot and is about to go and live in Dubai. Um, (laughs) This is my Velcro baby who for four years (laughs) clung to me. So sometimes it, you know, I you know, sometimes I'll use it as a reassuring point, but um you know, it really depends on the person whether I bring it up or not. Yeah. It's not I about me, it's about you. them, but for reassurance, yeah. yes. <laughs> Is reassuring. And that's what I find is sometimes I have to mention too, because there's also I think this issue of you know, we get in, we're talking about expectations about what they're going to be like when they're older. I think a lot of parents and probably because our society as a whole really structures an all or none. Your child's either wholly independent or wholly dependent. And I'm watching this process kind of unfold slowly with my daughter. So at six, she's quite independent in many ways. So she too, when she started forest school, is the first thing she went off to. And I remember being paranoid about the first day there. And she walked in, had her backpack on, turned around, bye mom, and trotted off into the forest. And I was just floored that this little girl, who was also very much a Velcro baby, just walked off on her own. 
Now at six, we still do the family bed. We, she still is needing time with me. She's very open about it. She'll come, and especially with the younger siblings, she comes at times to say, Mom, I really need Mommy Maddie time now. So she's not this completely independent person, but I wouldn't expect that at six either. I'm watching this with kind of transition. Yeah, yeah even exactly. with an older child that they can express they need mum and Maddie. Yes. She can express she needs mum and Maddie time. She's aware of her emotions. She's aware of her needs. She knows how to meet those needs. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I want to get to parents is the idea that, you know, you're not moving from a child that's wholly dependent to suddenly flipping a switch. You wake up one day and they're not going to want you. It's a <laughs> gradual process of growing yeah. to be independent. And you'll see that maybe during the day, like Maddie is during the day, oftentimes she's ready to go out and be adventuresome. She's, you know, we just moved. And now that it's a smaller town and a a safe, we lived on a very busy street in Vancouver that terrified me. I did not allow, I did not like walking down the street because sidewalk was narrow, fast cars, et cetera. Here we live on a very quiet little street. So she'll pop down to a friend's house, you know, four or five houses down by herself. Uh, I mean, we're watching her because, that's you know, what we do, but she's very comfortable on her own being independent that way. But then again, in many other ways, she still probably seems younger because she's still aware of her dependence and her needs in that regard. And I'm okay with that. And I think part of what I, I always want parents to get is this realization that you're in this for a long haul. And although we seem to expect our infants to be independent for some strange reason, they're not. They need this dependency and this breastfeeding at night with this mom here, we're, that is a sign of a child being able to express their need. The child needs the breast for so many reasons of what the breast offers um, a child. This is their need to help them calm down. And that's okay that this child will move out of that at some point. Um, when that is, will be dependent upon the child and their relationship and so many other variables, but they need that. Um, and I, I know, like, you've seen that too. Like, was with Sarah, was it also a gradual? Did you find this kind of building up over different areas at times? Yes. Well, it was so gradual I hadn't even realized she would be able to manage <laughs> at kindergarten. You know, she, and she was the fourth child. I, I mean, a friend of mine laughed because I got a nanny in mind my kids and I took her with me and I had to do an interview. I was actually writing for the age newspaper here and I had to do an interview and I was meeting someone who was coming in from out of town in the city. So she was sitting up on the on the bar with the barman eating chips while I was sitting at a table near her doing this interview. And she's going, you hired a nanny and you took the kid with you? Well, she wouldn't have been happy, even though she knew all of her siblings and was completely comfortable. It was me that she seemed to hang on to. And yet she became incredibly independent eventually. You know, and I think, and also I think too with kids, Parenting's never over. Like it'll be several steps forward, and there might be a step back. There might be something else that happens, or you know, like my youngest son, at, as a teenager, you know, a couple of years ago, I got a call at midnight. I was sitting here in my pajamas, just waiting for the kid to walk in the door, and he rang me and said, "Oh, um, Josh has been drinking. I don't want to get in the car." I said, "All right, you tell all your mates to stay there, and I'll come and pick you up." And I jumped in the car in my pajamas to go and pick up these eighteen-year-olds, and. Um, I got breathalyzed. The police here pulled me over 
and breathalyzed oh. me in my pajamas, looking completely disheveled. <laughs> the mad woman with the pink hair and the pajamas, flannelette pajamas on. Oh, that's fabulous! I with said, the boys I know in the car I look I know I look like I've been drinking or something even worse, but the kids I'm picking up have been drinking. Can I bring them back and see how much stuff had? But, but I just thought, well, that's harm minimization, you know, that your kid knows that even at midnight. they can, yeah. And then after that, we had a little discussion that, you know, the taxi stops at midnight. If you can't get a right, you know, if you can't ring me sooner than that, um, you need to make arrangements to stay the night where you are, you know, but ring me yeah. ring me sooner you know and let me know but yeah. you know they've always been quite considerate around that you know? <laughs> oh so God. you put in some boundaries as they grow bigger but you know yeah you're still there when they need you and I think that's a really yeah. good message we're giving these little ones because what if they what if he hadn't rung because he would have annoyed me and he'd have got in a car with a driver who'd been drinking oh my you don't even want to think about it That's exactly the kind of stuff that, and yet these are the things that teens do all the time. And we almost expect it as a rite of passage. And I wonder how much of it comes from these weird boundaries being placed when they're younger that really aren't developmentally appropriate. I don't know. I mean, I think any teen can do something stupid. And again, sorry, I don't want to say just about boys, but I find boys' brains take a lot longer to come yeah, full circle. And I don't want, yeah, I don't want to suggest that not a, some teen's going to be brilliant and never make a bad mis- like decision. They, they all will, make will mistakes, but I think this but, I, Yeah, I think the degree to which we see this gap between parents and their teens, at least in our, I mean, in North America, it's a big thing. It's an ongoing discussion about why, why do we view these teenage years as being so problematic, and why do we have such a discord between parents and teens and. I do wonder if some of it stems from the way we've interacted with them when they're younger. We've been setting up boundaries, you know, like this other woman telling this mom Mm. her fear of something that really isn't grounded in any research. I mean, like I said, you look at the research on delay of gratification and you have the opposite. Um, We don't have anything on sexuality because I just don't even know what... Where would you start? Where would you start doing the research? Exactly. I don't... Exactly. Like so many factors influence both sexuality, the experience of sexuality, expectations on sexuality within a given relationship can change. So, I mean, there's just so much going on there. But at the very least, we know um, that based on this one preliminary bit of evidence that breastfeeding itself seems to actually increase the delay of gratification as opposed to leading to the expectation of immediate gratification. Uh, but I think when we place these weird barriers on our kids at this age, at this young age, we're setting the stage for the relationship and we're giving them messages that we may not want to give them when we think about them as teenagers. That's right. And yes. I think, so I always, yeah, they'll always make, you know, it, it's a time for making mistakes, it seems to be. I mean, they're, yeah. they're testing our values and their values and working out a whole new value system for themselves. They're working out... Um, where they fit in the world, they're working out how to deal with their peers, how to be more assertive around, you know, events that might be unsafe um, and how they can protect themselves. I mean, teaching them protective behaviours, but then for them to implement it. I mean, it's all very well to say to a kid, just say no, but, you know, there's there's so much around all of those things and the temperament of our child. But if they can come back and talk to us about it, 
we can help them through that. And that's where that relationship, exactly. I feel, really strongly comes in. It's not that we're going to have perfect children. It's that we're going to be able to help them through the things that are difficult for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think that's the breastfeeding at the younger age is helping your child through something that's difficult. And the fact that, you know, when we talk about emotion regulation research, the first form of real self-soothing is actually the searching for another person to soothe you. So people always believe that if you leave a child, they are somehow learning self-soothing. They're not. That's not active self-soothing. Active self-soothing for a young infant is actually once they're able to seek out the person to help them. And that's exactly what this boy is doing. He's seeking out his mother and he knows what he needs. This is actually far more advanced than I think we give kids credit for. This idea that I know I'm upset, so there's a self-awareness of feelings. I know a who I need to fix this, but I also know what I need from them. And he's able to seek this out and she's able to provide it. And therefore, he is actually learning so much from that interaction. He's learning about his own feelings. He's learning that his mom is there in the capacity that she can be. But he's also now learning. She's modeling being there for another individual in a time of need. And And that's a huge, huge step for adult mental health to know that, you you know, if things are tough for us, we need to reach out. Exactly. And so many people don't. And it's it's a problem. It's So I had a question I want to ask you, though, on this, because it was something that struck me as we were talking here. I think a lot of people may be listening and think, okay, so clearly the mom offering support, this idea that breastfeeding is sexualized is, they may be fully on board with the idea that breastfeeding being sexualized is stupid. Okay. But a lot of people, I think, don't think about what breastfeeding specifically offers. I think they want to say, okay, but couldn't he get it from rocking or cuddling or some other form, which the mom has already said clearly none of these other things actually work with him. So what is it? I mean, you, again, you work with boobs, you work with breast milk. What is it in breast milk that actually is almost unique to the type of comfort it can offer children? I think something that we don't talk about that is in night milk is the tryptophan, which is the precursor to serotonin, which Mm -hmm. children are developing their serotonin receptors at this age. And we now know that 80% of our serotonin receptors or even more are in the gut. Now, this could have a really calming effect on this child that cuddling or rocking isn't going to do. Yeah. So I think there's, there's more to breast milk than we even know. But I'd say when we know about this chemistry, perhaps this is what yeah. this child needs. And, you know, there are going to be all sorts of factors around how we, you know, regulate serotonin or increase or decrease or how it reacts with all of our other chemistry as adults or as children or whatever. But I always kind of cringe when people talk about night weaning a small child and... You know, people are talking about this by three months, six months, 12 months, that babies need to be night weaned. And I think we need to stop this because that baby knows for some reason Mm -hmm. that's what calms this child. But I would say it's something to do with the chemistry in the milk. Yeah. Well, I know also that they've started measuring levels of melatonin in 
breast milk. And breast milk is one of the highest, it has quite high concentrations of melatonin in the evening and nighttime hours, yes, um, not during so the day. The um, serotonin converts to melatonin too. So you've got yes. you've got a really good dose of something that's pretty important. And if it was only, ha- and it does only happen at nighttime, it's nighttime breast milk. Yes. This is this is so high in the melatonin and the serotonin and you think well we must need this at night time there's a reason for this so what do we do i mean you and i both work with families we both deal with a lot of questions and i know i get the weaning question a lot how do we address the mixed needs of the mother who may really need a break and a baby who may be expressing a need and has this awareness of this need that we we can't ignore and we don't want to dismiss it entirely, but we also want to balance it against what's working for the dyad as a whole. What, yeah, do, we, what I do, think, do we say? What do we do? I, look, I think, again, working with mothers is it's about seeing that mother's whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if she can cuddle and co-sleep and do things very gently or sometimes the babies who are feeding constantly through the night what's going on for that baby is the baby separated during the day is the baby just going through a limited developmental stage that says um you know i'm so busy learning to crawl or learning to walk or getting teeth or whatever i'm so busy during the day that i need to stoke up on mummy at night and can she put things in place to survive the next few weeks um or is she so desperate that maybe she can settle that baby on a mattress, give him some boob to settle him, and then hop back in her bed? So there's a little bit of distance between the breast and the baby mm-hmm. overnight so that when he does wake, he will you know, probably really need it rather than... Or if he's waking really frequently, is there something else going on for this child? You know, is he got some yeah. food sensitivities? Often salicylates will, you know, once their, their chemistry chemicals and otherwise really healthy foods and if they are eliminated for a short period of time it may only be five days and mum will see a difference and she can reintroduce to a level that's okay for that child but you know I was talking to a mum with a 12 month old the other day who had um, we did a Skype call and her child was waking quite frequently in the night but it turned out he was eating loads of tomatoes and loads of blueberries which over a period of a day can accumulate and this chemistry can keep this kid awake and restless too. So looking at the reasons for waking, that they aren't just, just in inverted commas, needing the breast for their own, you know, well-being. That there's, Well, they are, but it's something else that's causing that as well. And if all those things are out of it, most mothers can manage one or two wakings. If, if yeah. that's all the child's doing. Well, this two-year-old's only waking once or twice. So most mothers are okay with that. If they're really exhausted, again, looking at the mother's health, has she had her thyroid levels checked, her iron levels checked? Um, you know, she probably needs to go and get a good blood test. Um, what sort of support has she got? Is she trying to work a full-time job as well as breastfeeding all night long because the child's separated from her? What can we do? around these things. I mean, she may not be able to give up work and she may need tonight when to actually get some sleep. But um, you know, how can she do that in the most gentle possible way? I also 
often mention that I, I know many times people night wean with this idea that baby's now going to sleep somehow. And I, I find mean, that for a lot too. of families, baby mm. still wakes. You've yeah. just lost that one quick fix. And so you may end up with a child that's up even more. So I always caution families to look at why you want to do it, what you're hoping to get out of it. Um, and then, you know, based on your answers to those questions, it may be night weaning you look at or, again, something else uh, that, that may offer the type of relief and respite that you need uh, for a period. And sometimes it's even not fully night weaning. I often work with families where we talk about setting up just, you know, a four-hour block. Yes. If yeah, there's I something going on, you know, yeah. Yeah, dad can take over for four hours and you can get that chunk of sleep, get a good couple sleep cycles in, um, you know, two, possibly three sleep cycles, and then you're much better able to cope with the rest of the wakings and the rest of whatever else is going on during the day, work, handling kids, multiple children, uh, et cetera. So, yeah. I think yeah. that's good, though, for people to realize. But I think it's really important for people to realize that breast milk does offer something unique at times to infants. And if you're not offering it and you have to, it's not that that's the be-all and end-all. It's just really going back to understanding what it is that that breast milk does, why it's so unique, and why we need to really consider really consider what we're asking our children to give up when we talk about weaning. Um, and especially when there's really no long-term reason to worry about their later mental health or behaviors or sexual health um, because of whether we call it extended full-term, uh, natural weaning, et cetera. So, <laughs> whatever so the name right, is. You know, all the different terms <laughs> we go in. I know. Whatever you want to call it. Everyone gets angry about one terminology or another, but I think they've all been used by people, so that that's what I do. Um, I know we're coming up. You've been so kind to be on for so long here. Uh, but I want to ask one more thing, because I think this really gets down to the crux of what people face with breastfeeding older children. What kind of answer do you give to a friend who says this. Like, I think so many people breastfeeding have heard bizarre things being said. This being perhaps the most bizarre I've heard, quite honestly. But we've all heard weird things. Your kids, you know, they're never going to get off the breast. They're going to, you know, I think the other one that comes out often is nursing for comfort will lead to um, emotional eating when they're older. Oh, I've heard that one too. Yeah, there's a certain baby whisperer who says that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's more than that. There's actually a whole philosophy that people follow where that's the tenet is you don't want to teach children to go for a quick quick fix of food, and I, I struggle with it. Um, and, I mean, you've talked about a night here, some of the reasons why breast milk may itself be perfect for infants. But what about... What do we, I, I mean, we, we say talk about all the reasons, but what do we say to people? Like, what, what do we tell this mother to say to her friend? Well, it sounds as though she's quite a close friend, doesn't it? So I mm-hmm. think the mother could have an honest discussion and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't see it that way. You know, really, yeah. I don't see it that way, and we're quite happy. And look, there is research, as Tracy has mentioned, there is research to show that, 
you know, this instant gratification is not going to happen. So that's about it. But I could also say, why? You know, often I'd say to the friends, so why do you? How do you relate this to sex? Ask, put the question back yeah. on the friend. So, what makes you think that? Because I, find oh, it I got really worried bizarre. about it. Oh, I find it utterly bizarre. But I also worried because she said it wasn't just a friend, but a mentor, which implies almost a bit of a power differential going on. And I think yes. this is where. So many people get questions and comments from family members that might have a power differential over them, right? Like you're talking about a mother or mother-in-law, you know, grandparents. Those are the hardest people. It's almost easy to tell Joe Schmo on the street to just get lost. But yes, yeah, you can tell him to fuck off, who, whereas you can't tell exactly, your parents that. <laughs> exactly. Like, what do you know? That's not going to make just a really comfortable Thanksgiving dinner. I think sometimes the less you tell people, I mean, do you really have to tell people that you're breastfeeding your two-year-old at night time? I think you're better off not telling them those sorts of things if it's not bothering you. I know, you know, there are, there's, there's probably that fine line about being honest so that they understand that these things happen. Like, you know, if you're a child health nurse or your doctor and you say, this is what's happening, and you're trying to be honest and open so that they realise that, you know, the next mother who comes along and says this, it will normalise that for them. Um, and yet, if it means you you haven't got the energy that day or you can't cope with the flack, you're better off not saying anything. Finding someone who believes in you and supports you and finds that team of support. But it, it sounds as though this woman has given... The mother support in other ways but mm-hmm. yeah with the power differential difference it is hard and with your family and your parents and particularly if you're a first-time parent I think it's really hard like you've now got Maddie you've got a little bit of evidence that things are going to change and your child's going to gradually grow independent so you're going to get on fine you know with second time baby yeah. people probably won't bother you but people are really opinionated aren't they they are. They're very... And, you know, I lucked out because my mom nursed me, my brother and my sister, through the night. We all self-weaned, you know, between three and four. And so there was just this expectation that that's what I would do in my mind. That's what I grew up seeing because my siblings are much younger than I am. And it just wasn't even a, a thought in my mind that I would do differently. And in turn, they're really... The bit of backlash that came from some others it was very easily shot down because I had my mom as the and you example. Were confident in you know, and I could anyway. also point out, you know, look at me, my brother and sister. We're all pretty good here. So we're clearly yes. not going <laughs> to suffer long term for this. Well, and I can well, say I just, now, yes. you know, none of us have these, you know, delay of gratification problems. Um, I, I can't speak sexually about my brother or sister. I don't know about them, but again, <laughs> I'm okay. They're okay. And that is, you know, if I want to have that conversation with my brother's fiance, I can. But I just, you know, it was really easy for me to dismiss it right off the bat. And because any family member had seen my mom do this, she kind of went through it all before anyway. And I also have the temperament of I just generally don't give a fuck what people think. So it makes it very easy to listen to someone say something and just smile, nod, and walk away. Yeah, and I so, think the smile, nod, and walk away is a good one. Um, you know, when people, 
I know I had some answers when people, you know, I'd be breastfeeding, you know, the second kid of mine was about four before he weaned and um, we actually lived across the road from a school at that point in time and someone was saying, you know, oh, you'll still be going to school to give him his lunch. I said, oh, it's all right, he can come home. And... (laughs) Then someone else said, you know, hell, he'll want a breast in his 21st. And I used to just say, look, he might, but it's not going to be mine. And, you know, I'd come up with ridiculous... I think sometimes just using a bit of humour is a good way to put people back in their box. They can't really keep up the argument if you say things. And someone said to me, oh, you know, oh, you're still breastfeeding. And I just go... When they said it with a tone of disgust, I'd just look really vague and go, oh, I'm sorry you can't see the beauty of it. And they didn't know what to say. They have no no answer. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I also love the idea of turning the question around because I really would want to turn to this friend slash mentor and really ask, why are you sexualizing a two-year-old? Like, yes. what is going yes. on that makes you think this two-year-old views this as anything sexual? And why they will make that association, even if they were to say, oh, I don't think it's sexual now, but it will be. Well, how do you make that link between what's sexual, what's feeding and comfort and providing, you know, much needed nutrients um, and everything to suddenly 20 years later, they're going to think of it as sexual or? or, Where's the crossover point? Yeah. What stage point? At what age? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so much. Twelve-year-old boys like looking at photos of ladies with boobs, don't they? I mean, you know, the, the <laughs> Playboy magazines and things. I know one of my sons actually had had a photo of um, Samantha Fox on his bedroom wall at some stage. By the way, she had an inverted nipple. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> The things we know. The boy was the one thing that we're talking about. Well, I think he'd long past worrying about his mother's breasts by then. Exactly. There was there was there was no pictures of your breasts up there. Mine, mine wouldn't have been anywhere near like her, like as exciting as hers. That's the thing. I think just and this is the problem. I think I hit this stage where, as we said at the beginning. You know, my first gut reaction to this was just I'm out because it seems so ludicrous, so ludicrous to think this way. And yet it's not uncommon. We go back, you know, to this. It's crazy. But I feel like we've actually made some headway into, you know, thinking about this. Like, I'm really happy all of a sudden that there is research on the delay of gratification. And I'm happy that we have discussion on the sexualization of breastfeeding because I really I have focused you've nailed it for me because I have always focused on trying to come up with an argument a cohesive argument against the sexualization of breastfeeding but I think you've nailed it in saying you have to turn the question around make them justify why breastfeeding is sexual make the actor justify yeah, why like I should have just, to why does the mother who's nurturing her child always have to be the one who justifies what she's doing? It feels right exactly. for her. She shouldn't you know, we don't need research to tell us the grass is gonna grow when it rains. We know that. I mean yes, probably there is research, but why do we actually <laughs> need research to put these people back in their boxes? Why can't they justify? And that's exact I think you've just 
that's exactly the type of answer I think we need people to start giving. And in a sense, I think it also works on another level of A, it just gets it out of your ballpark. I don't need to spend my time coming up with more. But B, I think it challenges their thoughts. It gets them to think, okay, seriously, sit down, walk me through this process. Walk me through the sexualization of a child, the sexualization of a natural, normal feeding method for all mammals. Um, Here we go. Does this person somehow think that other mammals face this type of delay of gratification, especially sexual gratification? (laughs) I'm just getting a visual of all the bulls running around the paddock chasing the cows. (laughs) It's. I mean, maybe they kind of do do that. But <laughs> maybe that's why they put them in a separate paddock. Right? <laughs> it's only a mating season. So it's, but I mean, this is exactly, I, I think, forcing people to turn around and actually justify this completely broken logic is what we need from people around here. Is instead of just throwing our hands up in the air as I want to do, or try to come up with a rational narrative, which I think we tried to do today as much as we may have gone off topic a bit, but that's us. Um, I I think it really comes down to making them justify it. If there's anything I would. Yeah. And, and I think by doing that, we may actually get some people to start really thinking about these ingrained ideas and, because there's a superficial logic to it, right? We've sexualized breasts. Therefore, breastfeeding must be sexualized. Um, again, the delay of gratification. Okay, you're giving a child what they're asking for in the moment, even when it might seem to the outsider an inconvenient time. You're teaching them to expect what they want whenever they want it. Those are superficial logical leaps. Mm. But they don't hold up. And I think when you get people to really question them and look deeper at it, okay, just because breasts are sexualized, breastfeeding does not have to be sexualized. Why is the act of feeding a baby? What is it about breasts that makes them sexual? And what is it about breastfeeding that separates that from a cultural view of breasts as sexual? Uh, Just because a child receives nourishment and comfort when asked, does it mean that somehow they're always going to expect all needs, wants, et cetera, to be met in a timely manner no matter what happens. Well, when it comes to needs, I do hope my child's needs are met in a timely manner at all times. I hope when I'm hungry, I'm able to satiate that. I hope when I'm thirsty, I'm able to satiate that. I hope when I need comfort from someone, I can receive it. Comfort will look different when I'm two versus when I'm now, you know, 36, But I still hope I can achieve it, that I can obtain that. So I hope people can start to see, if we can start getting people to view these connections in the tenuous way in which they are, this superficial aspect of them, and start looking at it at a deeper level, I think that's when we might actually start shifting thoughts in our society on this. I don't know if you agree with me or not. I may be completely out there on I do agree with you. I think it might, yes, because when they have to start, thinking about why do I believe this mm-hmm. and where does it come from I mean it's a cultural belief it's not a you know a natural you know what's natural and biological versus what's cultural I guess in our our society we don't it's not mm-hmm. cultural to see older children even breastfeeding so I guess it's a big leap for mm-hmm. people to even accept 
that. And we, we, you know, with so much sleep training from newborns, why would a two-year-old be waking up at night and wanting a breastfeed, for goodness sake? <laughs> so it's so they have to kind of come up with some reason that it's not a good thing. And if that's the best they can do, it's not very good. So they do need to think about it. But it's terrifying, I think. And that's, I think, oh, where it works yes. is you see a mother who experiences something that's working for her that she's comfortable with suddenly doubting herself. Yes, and that's so the it biggest thing. This, mm-hmm. It yeah, implants it's, it's this seed of fear. That a mother's undermined when she's confident. Yeah. Exactly. And that that's what bothers me the most about it that makes me angry. But And I think that's where turning it around is, is bringing back the confidence to the mom in what she's doing and saying, if you're going to try and undermine me, you better have damn good reason for it. Because if you don't, fuck off is really what yeah. I think what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. It does, it does. But it's being polite too. It's, you know, opening yeah. up a polite... You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to be don't nasty know. to someone you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know what, if you want to be ongoing... nasty to someone you don't know, go for it. Beg your pardon? <laughs> I, said, I, kind of, I, always, be nasty to I always say if they're not bringing casserole or offering to come and do an overnighter, you know, your response can be whatever you like. Yeah. There you go. That's a great way to put it. And if you do want to come and do my laundry, I will listen to whatever you want to tell me. I may not take it to heart, but I will listen to absolutely anything at that point. I'll be respectful and polite, and I'll be really appreciative. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell me whatever rubbish you like. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, Pinky, we're now on way longer than I thought um, I would be holding you up, so I hope I haven't kept you away from anything here. I've loved but it. It's been great fun. Oh, but good. Same here. We'll have to do this again because goodness knows, I think there'll be some more wowzers coming in on this. And you are one of my favorite go-tos on this. So thank you so, so much for being a part of this. I hope people have been able to enjoy our little back and forth. I know it's less formal than people might expect, but that is what you get when you put two people together to discuss the insanity that encompasses the parenting world. Um, so Pinky, it is. Oh, I'm going to share all the links. If you're looking for Pinky, she's on Facebook. She has her site, PinkyMcKay.com. And there's also BoobyBinkies.com, right? Yes, BoobyBinkies.com.au. They're only in Australia yet, but we do have lots of breastfeeding information on the Facebook page for BoobyBinkies too. And I'm on Instagram as well. You are go you I I'm not. I don't get Instagram. I probably because I don't get photos. So, you know, that's Oh, mine are polished. I've just chucked one up today of my son in bed co-sleeping with his little boy going oh. um you know, and a friend texted me and said, "Oh, you've put up his bare chest on Instagram." <laughs> my daughter-in-law slapped it. <laughs> oh, see my I just give my camera to my my phone camera to my little one so I now have about 50 pictures of him taking I don't know what it is um I mean he's nine months old so it's whatever he was pressing the button on over and over again but it's nothing coherent but I could post those I guess maybe I should join Instagram we'll see (laughs) there's there's an Um, idea I like to post her burnt sausages I think it's 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 terribly superficial on Instagram and there's people who will only post professional photos with the right lighting Uh, I can't get around to that (laughs) I've got another one yeah, of my no, kids I sitting think... on the floor with garbage 
all round him like rice or oats or something. I don't even remember what it was. And I just put up, so where was this kid's mother when this happened? <laughs> she was hiding and having a drink. That's what she was doing. <laughs> she was probably right next to him somewhere. <laughs> Exactly. I know I've taken a look around sometimes and there's been, you know, chaos ensuing and I look and I have to debate, am I in the state where I'm going to deal with this or am I just going to hmm. close my eyes and pretend I never saw it? And having a wonderful it's kind of time. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. The, oh, my goodness. I'm nervous about what I'm going out to after this, so we'll see. But um, thank you again so much for joining us. I hope people enjoyed um, what we had to say. I, I really am curious. If anyone has a question that they want to hear discussed, send me an email at tracy at evolutionaryparenting.com. You can check out all sorts of articles, including one where I wrote up this research that we talked about on the delay of gratification and breastfeeding on evolutionaryparenting.com. And again, I'm also on Facebook. So you can join us in many different ways, just as you can join Pinky as well. So we hope to see you around. And thank you so much once again, Pinky and everyone, for a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. And remember, if you have a parenting question you think would be good for this podcast, please send it along to tracy at evolutionaryparenting.com. Also, feel free to join me on Facebook or just check out evolutionaryparenting.com. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.